Well, hello, hello, Chief and listeners. Been a while. Been, uh, what, what's the phrase now? It's been a minute. <laughs> Maybe a little longer than a minute. Although I think it's been a minute is supposed to mean that it's been a long time. So maybe by saying that it's been longer than a minute is duplicitous it's it is a repetitive it's redundant unnecessary um yeah but it has been a minute um i can't even remember what the last episode i podcasted on was however it is july 30th 2019 and i am doing the next episode in this here chief end podcast primarily because i saw that Joshua Harris said that he's no longer a Christian. And as you probably read in the description of this particular podcast, uh, it'd be very easy to call this podcast Joshua Harris Kisses His Faith Goodbye. Or Joshua Harris Kisses The Church Goodbye. Or Joshua Harris Kisses Christianity goodbye, or Joshua Harris kisses God goodbye, or Christ goodbye. Um, And I almost tweeted out a couple hours after I saw his Instagram post making the rounds on the interwebs. Um, I almost tweeted, you know, we could set the over-under at the amount of blog posts going to be written using a variation of one of those titles, probably at a thousand. And I would have taken the over because... uh, the the just it's it's too easy it's too easy it's like shooting fish in a barrel um with that particular title now you may think if you've listened to previous episodes that I'm uh doing this episode so that I can rant and rail on Joshua Harris and uh go after him and ad hominem attack him and um all of the all, all of that stuff but I actually don't want to do that because that too would be, I think, relatively easy and low-hanging fruit. Um, What I do want to talk about is the title of the podcast, which says that there are too many Christians, far too many Christians getting stuck in Vanity Fair. And you say, well, what does that mean? We're not in the pages of the magazine. Well, I'm not talking about Vanity Fair the magazine. I'm talking about Vanity Fair, the distracting town in Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress that was placed smack dab in the middle of the road on the way to the Celestial City. It's placed, uh, I don't know if it's exactly halfway between the Wicket Gate and the Celestial City, but it is placed in between the Wicket Gate and the Celestial City. And if you have read that wonderful book by John Bunyan, uh, recounting the uh, conversion and sanctification and challenges and discouragements and triumphs of Christian as he proceeds through life in an allegoric allegory uh, uh, format, um, he encounters, along with, I believe, his, fen- his friend Faithful, Vanity Fair, And Vanity Fair, in Bunyan's account, traps many, many people. And it prevents them from continuing on their journey to the Celestial City. And I think it's safe to say that Vanity Fair, in Bunyan's account, represents the love of the world, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, 
uh, the praise of man, uh, love of money, ease, excess, leisure, um, influence, prestige, all of those things. And when I look around at America, especially, I can't really speak for Christians in other countries because I um, am pretty, don't have any experience there in that capacity. But when I look around at Christians, especially in America, in, in American evangelicalism, it appears that far too many Christians are getting stuck in Vanity Fair. And this is alarming to me because we're supposed to be on this path to the celestial city. We are fleeing the city of destruction and we are journeying towards the celestial city heaven, which is far better, far greater um, than the city of destruction. Yet, even though we have set out on this journey to flee the city of destruction in Bunyan's terms, we are not reaching our destination of the celestial city because we're getting hamstrung by the love of the world. And you go, oh, well, that's easy to solve. We just need more preachers and pastors imploring us to commit ourselves to the church and to commit ourselves to their visions and commit ourselves to their organizations. It appears that that is not working. Um, I think I mentioned previously the Houston newspaper doing an expose, several months of research on sexual abuse scandals in the Southern Baptist Convention of Churches. Um, I read this weekend that there is a woman who sued the Village Church in Texas for a million dollars seeking damages that her daughter, when she was 11, was sexually assaulted by a youth camp worker. Um, I've mentioned previous, numerous times in previous episodes, the moral failings of Tulian Tvichkin and, and others who stand around, who, who built their ministry on calling our allegiance and our, and our commitment to them and their vision and their organization, and yet these men are falling by the wayside. And you say, oh, well, that's just the casualty of war. It's spiritual warfare. It's all these things. And it may very well be. I mean, I have, I, I, I can't see behind the curtain of the physical world to see what sort of powers are at play. I mean, the scripture does tell us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, um, but against the principalities um, and, and the powers of darkness. I mean, I understand that that is a concept that's in the scripture. But I think what I want to throw forward, put forward today for, for your consideration, for uh, other Christians' consideration, as it seems uh, more and more scandals and more and more moral failures and more and more uh, apostasy-type events are taking place. Oh my gosh, he said apostasy. He must really be a lunatic. Um, is two things. One, the Bible says that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And, you know, you, I read Joshua Harris's Instagram post where he's talking about, you know, if I could paraphrase the sentiment of how I've been reading him the last year, it's that he is sort of experiencing this like post-evangelical enlightenment that, oh, he's, he's, wiser and smarter now that he's kind of thrown off the shackles of the constraints of evangelicalism. And 
he seems to be promoting it and, and putting forth this idea that he is choosing, it's his volition to choose these things. Um, and, and I can't help but think of the scripture that says that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And it's been my contention for a very long time, hence why I started this podcast to begin with, was namely to argue that the chief end of man is to be humble, that we glorify God via being humble, um, that we should seek to live quietly working with our own two hands, um, that we should seek humility as a chief end. Um, And I've argued previously that that's the same side of the coin as glorifying God, that glorifying God and being humble are one in the same. Um, And it's been my contention that much of evangelicalism is the complete antithesis of humble. It is, and it's something I talked about this weekend with a close friend, um, modern evangelicalism seems to be promoting this idea of like sanctified selfish ambition, sanctified pride, sanctified love of the world. So we can put all of these pursuits, fame, ease, leisure, money, love of money, influence, prestige, we can put all of these pursuits in front of us and wrap enough Christian Christian speak on top of them and frame them in the context of the church, so to speak, that we're, we're really pursuing a sanctified vice. And so in the midst of that, it, it seems that that's the height of pride. It's veiled pride. Um, and, and in some instances, it's not even veiled. I mean, some of these self-promoting pastorpreneur types, it's not even veiled. They are very uh, brash and very unashamed to be promoting their vision, to be promoting themselves, to be promoting their influence and their expanding borders. So my question is, and, and this is what I, what I, my hunch or my, my curiosity is even though Joshua Harris is speaking and communicating as if this is some sort of like self-driven enlightenment that's going on, could it be is it possible that because God resists the proud, that what's happening is simply God resisting him? Oh no, that sounds terrible. That's the type, that's the type of um, oppressive evangelicalism that Joshua Harris is fighting against. Um, granted, I don't know his heart. Granted, the scripture says, judge not lest you be judged. Um, but it is something that I've uh, been pondering myself and I would toss out there for your consideration that... Um, even though he is posturing and positioning that this is some sort of post-evangelical enlightenment, could it very well be um, that it is the Lord resisting him in the midst of his pride? And if so, I'm actually hopeful that the Lord will uh, eventually humble him. Um, And he probably is even in the midst of doing that as we speak. Uh, But it reminds me of King Nebuchadnezzar. God says, you'll eat uh, grass with the beasts of the field until your pride is no more. Um, to paraphrase the scripture and a cross movement lyric, uh, God, God has a long track record throughout scripture of opposing and thwarting proud people. And if the, the core culture of American evangelicalism has become one of sanctified pride, 
it would make sense to me that God would begin to oppose these men in their efforts and pursuits to build their mini kingdoms. So that's the first thing that I will put out there for thou consideration. (laughs) The second thing I'll say, and this might alarm some of you, the second thing I'll say is on some level, I actually can sympathize with and somewhat agree with Joshua Harris throwing off traditional evangelicalism. Oh my gosh, Brandon is apostate. A hex on you and your family. Let me explain myself before you uh, get the pitchforks and axes and uh, the burning tinder um, to place under my feet. I remember distinctly back in 2009, 2010 at the when the economy <clears throat> was in the dump and I was wrestling uh, with, I was still really wrestling through the whole notion that our calling, our primary calling was to full-time vocational ministry as opposed to being justified. Um, that, was, that was still a, a tremendous wrestling match in my soul. And a lot of the advice and counsel and rebuke that I was getting from well-intentioned friends in full-time ministry only made that more of a vigorous wrestling match. Um, And when the economy bombed and my business took a hit and you begin to equate circumstance directly with God's activity and, and countenance toward you, you begin to think, wow, maybe God is judging me for leaving full-time ministry. Um, And so the, the, the tumultuous, internal struggle that goes on in the midst of that intellectual and spiritual and emotional challenge can can be quite uh, disruptive. And I remember not being able to sleep one night. This is early 2010. Not being able to sleep and I got up and I, I drove down uh, to Bayshore Boulevard here in Tampa. And I parked and I walked along the sidewalk. It's like the longest unbroken continuous sidewalk in the U.S. It's like three and a half, four, four miles, something like that. And I just walked. I started walking. And I remember reaching sort of the halfway point right by Beta Bay Boulevard. And I remember looking out over the water and this overwhelming thought just came upon me. And it was like I was being forced to accept this thought. And the thought was, and I said it out loud, I said, I am no longer a Christian. Crash and burn. This podcast is off the rails. This is no longer a Christian podcast because Brandon just said that. And it was a very sobering thought and a very sobering uh, feeling to have just like overwhelm me that I am no longer a Christian. And I sat down and I started asking myself, why am I having that thought? And what does that mean? And over the course of the next several weeks and probably couple of months, I began to write through what I thought it meant to be a Christian. And what came out of that experience was tremendous pride and tremendous hubris that I thought that I could make God my cosmic errand boy. And what I mean by that can be distilled down into just a, a, 
handful of very simple words. And it's a framework that I've used ever since going forward, since the beginning, since the middle of 2010. And in popular evangelicalism, I think the prevailing ethic is one that says, if we, then he. And we wholeheartedly believe that. If we, comma, then he. If we, insert some action, then he, God, will do our bidding. You say, oh, it's not that prevalent. I beg to differ. Au contraire, young man, young lady, old man, elderly woman, everything in between. Think if you really look at the sentiment that is put forward in popular evangelicalism, it very much reflects an if we, then he mentality. And it was when it was that mentality when I was sitting there on Bayshore at 2.30 in the morning, the beginning of 2010, when I said I'm no longer a Christian, I was being forced to repent and recant of that sort of me being the puppet master of God. You go, oh, but you said that you, you can't say that you're not a Christian. Well, if, my, if Christianity is boiled down to if we, then he, then I would say that we should all no longer be Christians because that's a putrid understanding of the scripture. It is a uh, expedient, self-serving, man-centered view of God. And so it was a transformative moment in my life, and it ended up being a very transformative moment for my walk with the Lord and in actually being a Christian. And so in the void of that, of, of my whole life was built on if I do something, then God will respond. And in the void of that, it was like, well, what am I left with then? And I don't know the exact amount of time that was required to have that void be replaced, but eventually it became replaced with because he, then we. And you go, oh, you're just a... You are a professional dispenser of semantics. Um, maybe. I think it's a huge linchpin. I think it's a huge perspective shift. I think it's a huge motivational change to go from if we, then he, where God is essentially our cosmic errand boy, to because he, then we. So it's because God loved me first, then I love my fellow man. It's because he died on the cross that I'm then justified and sanctified. It's because he works in me, both to will and to act according to his good purpose, that I can then begin to show good fruits in my life. And see, the other way around is, well, if I, if, if we, if, if I stop listening to secular music, if I stop watching R-rated movies, if I stop lusting after women, if I stop coveting my neighbor's house, if I do whatever it is that you feel like you need to do that your conscience convicts you of, then God will do something. That's works-based salvation. And so in that capacity, to the extent, if any, Joshua Harris is moving away from an if-we-then-he view of the scripture, then I can sympathize with him. Um, now, to the extent that he is not doing that, and to the extent that he is denying Christ and, you know, 
whatever. I, I, I don't know the man. Um, I can only kind of try to read what he's actually saying and maybe fill in a couple in between the lines things. Um, yeah, so I don't know. To the extent that he is he is moving away from an if-we-then-he um, framework, I can definitely sympathize with him. And it is my hope and prayer that he would fill that void with a because-he-then-we. Um, and I would encourage you as well um, to ponder the because-he-then-we viewpoint of, of the faith, because I think it's consistent with the scripture. I think it's consistent with the smallness of man and the greatness of God, um, you know, and all you have to do as I, as I've mentioned before is anytime you feel chippy and arrogant and, and proud and full of hubris, simply go to Job 38, 39 and 40 and read the account of God questioning Job. Are you there when I send forth the lightning bolts? I mean, that question alone should silence you. And and after two, two and a half chapters of God questioning Job, Job says, I put my hand over my mouth, I'm silent. I, I don't have a response. So I, I think that the because he, then we um, is a much, I want to say much healthier. I think it is the proper perspective of um, God and man, mortal, finite man, uh, encountering, having relationship with infinite, immortal God, um, who is like no other. Um, so that'd be the second thing. The third thing, and I, I can't remember which episode I hit on this with, but the third thing that this Joshua Harris, uh, kerfuffle reminds me of is the God blessed DL Moody quote that I wholeheartedly 100% believe has shipwrecked more young people's faith over the years than anything I can think of combined. And you go, oh, but DL Moody was, how can you? The quote that's often attributed to DL Moody that he either promoted or he says he responded to that we love to throw out at youth conferences and worship conferences and retreats and men's leadership conferences and church planning seminars. It's a ghastly, god-awful quote. And this Joshua Harris debacle reminds me of how damaging and destructive this stupid quote has been. And you've heard it before, and I've blasted it in a previous episode or two, but the quote that says, God has yet to see what the world, sorry, the world has yet to see what God can do through one man whose heart is fully committed to him. You go, that that quote sounds amazing. That sounds like it's calling for personal commitment to Christ and world-changing attitudes and counting the cost and oh it's that's a great quote it's a terrible quote well brandon i i think you're off base here i I don't know what you're talking about here's why it's a terrible quote one because it's still true the world has yet to see what god can do through one man whose heart is fully committed to him at least on a human level because 
we're all dead in our trespasses and sins. And it creates the culture, which I've raved against previously, about wanting to become a mini Messiah. That quote takes the worst of our ambitions, it takes the worst of our love for the world, and it attempts to sanctify it. It makes selfish ambition and conceit and the pride of life and the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. It takes all of the worst of our flesh and it tries to sanctify it into being some sort of godly pursuit. And it's absolute hogwash. And I wish we could erase this quote from the history books of the church. It is ruining It has ruined and it is ruining countless lives because it puts the false hope into some young person's heart that they will be fully committed to God. And it's impossible. Oh, Brandon, I I don't know about that. I think you're just a pessimist. The reason it's so destructive, in addition to all the things that I've said at its core, at its core, the reason it is so destructive, why that quote and putting that carrot out in front of young people is so incredibly destructive, is because it fails to admit that there has been one person who was fully committed to God. The world has seen what happens when there is one person whose heart is fully committed to God. Oh, who could that be? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christo, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, the Son of Mary. He said Mary, he must be Catholic. Do you not see how foundationally flawed this focus in evangelicalism has been? Oh, there's there's not a single person fully committed to God. God's just waiting. And as I've said before, it's like the Lord of the Rings. It's like the ring. Oh, I, I can manage the ring. Oh, I'm 17 years old. I can manage the ring. I'll be that guy. You can't. You can't be that guy. Oh, but, well, he just didn't count the cost enough. I can be that guy. Uh, uh, eh, You can't be that guy. Why? None seek after God. No, not one. There is none righteous. No, not one. Oh, that's such a depraved, that's such a depressed view. It's biblical. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. If there, oh man, if we could get rid of, of anything in evangelicalism, I would, there's probably 50 things that I'd say we could get rid of, but if we could only get rid of one thing, it would be that God blessed D.L. Moody attributed quote that has ruined, has ruined generations. It has contributed to the ruining of generations because it, it attempts to sanctify the love of the world under the guise of becoming some fully committed, world-famous, 
speaking in front of hundreds, if not thousands, as I heard like four times this last weekend, um, it, it, it tries to sanctify love of the world. And even more diabolically, it ignores the one person who was actually fully committed to God, namely Christ Jesus himself. So there's, it's no wonder that we have a, a ton of mini messiahs running around trying to save the world, thinking that their vision and their mission statement and their church and their calling is the anointed thing that God is doing in the world. There's no wonder that, that the church is littered with a bunch of delusional psychopaths that are exhibiting a sanctified love for the world. And it's no wonder that very few people are actually being pointed to the one, Christ, who was fully committed to God, um, because they're all operating under the delusion that this person doesn't exist and they're in process of becoming that person. It's a travesty, an absolute travesty. So get rid of that stupid deal, Moody quote. Look to the one, Jesus Christ, who is the only person fully committed to God, both past, present, and future, And seek to trust him more. Seek to hide in him more. Colossians 3, is your life not, your life is hid with Christ in God. Um, Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. Um, And again, it gets back to humility. The scripture is chock full of explicit examples of Christ's humility. He wasn't showboating on some jumbotron, uh, flexing his muscles and getting the, the fan on his hair just right and the lighting to glisten off his whatever just right. No, he was humble. Seek to live quietly. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. I mean, if, if there's anything that all of these Tulian Tavishkins and Matt Chandlers and Joshua Harris's and CJ Mahaney's and insert probably two dozen other pastors that have gone off the rails over the last several years. If there's anything these men should be teaching us, it's that the pursuit of trying to be a mini Messiah is absolute folly. So those are my three thoughts on Joshua Harris. Um, Feel free to share, spread, ignore, combat, argue against. I, I don't, I don't really Uh, care what you do. You're free to do whatever. Um, But please, whatever you do, if you're a Christian, if you're in the church, please don't think that you are going to be the savior and the center of revival because you're going to be the only one that can tolerate the ring correctly. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go watch the Lord of the Rings and look at Frodo, who at the very end says, aha, the ring is mine. Screw everybody. I can manage it. Um, Don't be Frodo. Don't be Gollum. Don't be Simon the Magician. Um, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and trust the only person ever who has been fully committed to God, namely Christ Jesus, the Lord God Almighty. Have a wonderful day and uh, talk to you later.